0: Hello and welcome to our latest Beyond Brexit podcast. I'm your new host, Shalina Poffenberger. So here we are, it's February 2020 and the UK has left the EU. Over the last few years, the nation, the continent and indeed the world has learned a new set of words. Brexiteer, Ramoner, Boris Bump, just to name a few. And we've all gotten a lot closer to the political processes of the United Kingdom and the European Council. But questions still remain. What does it all mean now that we are officially out? Is Brexit done? Is everything different or nothing at all? And importantly, what should businesses be doing during the next phase? With me today are three people who can help shed some light on what to expect and what not to expect from Brexit in 2020. Caroline Turnbull-Hall, our political specialist, will interpret for us what's happened and what's going to happen next. Phil Brown, former UK trade negotiator and one of the few people in the UK with experience of this process to explain what securing a trade agreement in the next 11 months really means. And Andrew Gray, our global and financial services Brexit leader who will tell us just what businesses could and should be doing in 2020. So Caroline, tell us, where are we now? What happens next now that the UK's left the EU?
1: Thanks Shalina. So uh, in late January, We saw the withdrawal agreement bill receive royal assent, which is the UK ratifying the withdrawal agreement. Both the Prime Minister and the Presidents of the European Commission and Council signed the withdrawal agreement and the European Parliament voted on it, which meant that the UK could withdraw from the EU on the 31st of January. And to quote the Prime Minister... The UK has passed the Brexit finishing line, but I really wonder if that is actually the case because I think what is more accurate is to say that we've passed the halfway mark but we've still got the final 500 metres to run. It's not over yet uh, as we enter the next stage of negotiations. So there was a large Conservative majority at the December election and because of that, there's going to be much less friction in Parliament which will mean the government can get on with negotiating the future economic partnership. The majority essentially gives the government a clear mandate to get on with the job. Over the next months, there'll be far less, if any, parliamentary drama and debate around Brexit, so we can expect to see less coverage in the press. But the danger of less press coverage is that the public will take a lack of Brexit-related news as meaning everything's sorted. But what the public won't see is all the activity in Westminster and Brussels as officials meet on negotiation rounds trying to secure the trade deal.
0: So now that we've entered the transition period, what will be happening behind those closed doors in Westminster and Brussels?
1: So the transition period is provided for in the withdrawal agreement really to allow the negotiations to progress over the future economic partnership. And these negotiations are going to be based on the framework that was set out in the political declaration that was published in October. Nothing will actually change during the transition period. The status quo is maintained. Um, Businesses and individuals will still have to stick to EU rules. The UK will be able to take advantage of any trade deals to which the EU is a party. So essentially in the UK it's going to be business as usual. But remember that in this phase, the UK is going to be a rule taker with no voice in Europe and very little influence. The transition period is due initially to run to the end of December this year. So we've got 11 months. But the withdrawal agreement allows for that to be extended for up to two years to give more time for the negotiations. If we request an extension. But one thing the Prime Minister has been absolutely clear on is that negotiations will be completed and presumably any future deal ratified by the 31st of December. And he's actually included legislation in the Withdrawal Agreement Act to make sure that advantage cannot be taken of the extension period. So bearing in mind that trade deals can take years to negotiate and agree, we've got a really challenging time ahead. And by way of example, the uh, deal that Greenland struck when it voted to leave the EEC took three years to, uh, to agree. And that was a fairly simple deal with a much smaller population in Greenland and the only main industry to consider being fishing.
0: And Caroline, what has what to happen in the next 11 months?
1: Well, both sides have to agree their negotiation mandates, which we'll expect will be done in early February. Um, And then the first stage of discussions will start, and that won't be on any substantive issues. It'll be determining how the negotiations are going to run. So it'll look at things like the prioritisation of issues, the timing of negotiation rounds, and also the overall structure of the negotiation. Are we looking for a sequence of sectoral deals, or is everything going to be negotiated as a full package? And what this means is that the substantive issues won't start to be negotiated until late February, early March, so further reducing the time available to reach an agreement. The main deadline is now, of course, the 31st of December. Uh, There's um, 30th of June, which is a deadline set in the withdrawal agreement for both sides to agree to extend the transition period, which the Prime Minister has indicated won't be relevant. And it's also a deadline by which both sides should have tried to complete their equivalence assessments, which is particularly important for financial services and audit. If we are going to get a deal ratified by the end of the year, I think realistically negotiations would have to be completed by the autumn at the latest to allow for the legal processes of the de- uh, involved in the deal and also for ratification by both sides. Again, due to the large Conservative majority, I think ratification by the UK shouldn't be an issue, but we could see, depending on the type of deal that we uh, agree, that ratification by the EU may be more complex and less certain. So we do have a real challenge on our hands to secure a deal by the end of the year.
0: Now, Phil... Caroline mentioned the negotiations will begin during the transition period. And that means agreeing what the trade relationship between the EU and the UK will look like from the 1st of January 2021. Could you explain a little more about what that free trade agreement could include?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, let's start with the basics. Um, A free trade agreement, an FTA is an agreement between two or more countries or customs unions that agree preferential access to each other's markets. So these, these FTAs, they cover a raft of areas that matter for trade and investment. So the obvious stuff like tariffs and regulations covering trade and services, and a whole range of other areas too, including IP, competition, customs, product standards, digital tax, government procurement, labor standards, environmental standards. This is why they're called deep and comprehensive agreements. So in terms of what will be covered in a UK-EU FTA, it's best to look, as it often is, to, at case history, and particularly the EU's recent FTAs. The EU-Canada agreement, the CETA, is generally regarded as the number one template for that. The reality is that politically and technically, the EU can and can't do certain things in FTAs, and we should expect that to apply to the UK too, especially as the UK government has set out its stall so strongly on being able to diverge. And if you look at what the EU has recently shared with its member states in terms of what, what, what it will cover, it's, it's basically a standard FTA. So having said this, while, let's say, just to put a number on it, 95%, the majority of any EU FTA may be pretty much the same, it's often that 5% that's the stuff that, that really kind of matters for business. So, we do actually already have a pretty good idea of what will definitely be in or out of a final FTA, if that's where we end up, the 95% or the known knowns, if you want. And we also have a pretty good idea of the 5%, we don't know quite what will happen with those that, that may or may not be in the deal, depending on the outcome of those negotiations, the, the known unknowns.
0: Could you give some examples of what would be in or out of scope? Um,
2: yeah, yeah, sure. So, let, let's start with um, tariffs and, and, and customs. So we know there'll be zero tariffs on all EU-UK manufactured products. We know that most agricultural tariffs will also be zero. The aim is for, for zero tariffs on all of them. But we don't know whether they will all be zero in practice because the EU's never negotiated an FTA where it's eliminated all of them, or exactly then which ones will be protected. We know that products made outside the UK or the EU will have to meet the relevant rules of origin requirements. And we can be pretty confident about what those rules will be. Otherwise, we know that WTO tariffs will apply. We know customs will be introduced with checks and paperwork, more or less the same as for any other third country. Um, But we don't know about what additional, probably quite limited facilitations will be agreed and and the implications of these. And on goods regulations, this is probably in the 5%. I think it's fair to say that we're probably less clear on that at the moment. There's quite a range of, of possible outcomes, depending on essentially a large part, how much the UK is prepared to align with the EU and on what basis. So probably not that much, but that's a bit uncertain. On services, we know that coverage will be quite limited, but we also know actually, in reality, the EU is pretty open anyway, in unregulated services areas. We also know there'll be some areas that are gonna be really sensitive. Audio-visual's a a classic one, and, and access will be fairly limited in that area. We don't know quite what will be agreed on recognising professional qualifications. There'll be a commitment to do so, but it's quite hard to do in practice. So some uncertainty about that, which will matter to legal, architect- architectural and other regulated services. We know that financial services will be based on equivalents, which will be agreed unilaterally outside of the FTA, although inevitably reality, there'll be, so there'll be some linkages and we know the same will apply for personal data. And then finally on people, we know that free movement will end. And while there may be some provisions in the FTA, quotas, maybe facilitations around visas and so on, these are likely to be fairly limited. So on the basis we end up with an FTA, we can actually be, I would say, fairly clear about what will definitely be in scope, what will definitely be out of scope and what could be in scope, the 5% in the final trading relationship. But, and I should caveat this, but the unprecedented nature of these negotiations, particularly the time frame, and depending on how sequencing um, is plays out, makes things much less predictable, uh, both in terms of what will be agreed in the time frame, and actually even whether there will be a deal um, at the end of this year.
0: So, okay, but Phil, we've, we've been aligned to the EU for so long that a trade deal in 11 months ought to be pretty straightforward Shouldn't we be able to get it all completed by the end of this year? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, can, I can see why you're saying that. and <laughs> not the first person that has a course. I think the first thing to emphasize once again is this is totally, I mean, Caroline's already talked about this, it's totally unprecedented. So the EU, to use another example, the EU South Korea, and I was involved in negotiating this way back, the fastest... FTA that's been negotiated between the EU and a major economy. That took four years from from, from launch to implementation. Normally, the process of just sort of just finalising and ratifying an FTA takes over 11 months, so unprecedented. Having said that, I, I do believe that you can make remarkable progress when there's political will, um, but this usually requires a crisis. And, and I think that's exactly what the UK is banking on. We, Caroline was talking about earlier, by effectively creating a burning platform by refusing to countenance an extension to the very short transition period. So, you know, in answer to your question, can a deal be agreed in a year? Well, I think, yes, a bare bones FTA. There's going to be some bespoke elements, of course, but largely following the Canada or other recent deals can be agreed. But probably, I think only late in the year when we've really got to that point, that crisis point. And then realistically, personally, I, I think we're probably going to need some extra time actually to ratify and implement it logically, uh, as well as to continue to implement some of these important side deals that, any that haven't been concluded in that time. So the problem, of course, um, is that that's, this means that we'll, we're going to probably be facing the very real risk of an imminent no deal again um, come, come mid, mid to late autumn.
0: Right. So, Andrew, we've left the EU. Future trading terms are still uncertain. What are businesses doing, or more importantly, what should they be doing over the coming year?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really quite challenging in many ways because, you know, as, as, as you've already highlighted, people simply aren't seeing any difference as of now because there aren't any differences as, as of now. But we do know, based on what, what Phil's been talking about, that we will enter into an agreement between the UK and the EU, which will be a trade deal. Um, We are not going to be part of the customs union of the EU. Therefore, there will be a customs border between the United Kingdom and the rest of Europe. There are some specific complications with Northern Ireland, but let's just leave those to one side for now. Um, What that does mean is that any movement of goods across that customs border will need to be accompanied by the appropriate documentation, which requires data. It requires some understanding about things like the country of origin, um, and, and some processes that firms will have to put in place to make sure that the, the documentation is produced in the right way. Many, many firms, even though they've had a period of time to plan for Brexit, have not yet put those steps in place. So certainly for, good, for firms which manufacture and move goods, um, then even though there may well be a trade deal which covers those goods, which would include no tariffs, no quotas, um, the, the, there's still work to be done. Um, when you move across into services, um, the freedom to work in the EU will cease. So whilst uh, the provision of a service on a cross-border basis may be possible, if that service requires you to go and work in the country to deliver that service, then that won't be possible because there is no automatic right of work. If you've already got people in the country to provide that service, you should be fine. But there are going to be challenges around, around the, the movement of people. And then when we're looking at more specifically regulated Uh, activities such as financial services. Um, Phil has already mentioned equivalence uh, being the provision for the ability to do cross-border activity. Equivalence is quite a limited mechanism. It doesn't cover all products. It certainly doesn't cover the vast range of financial services that is provided by the UK. Now, many firms have already taken quite considerable steps around setting up uh, operations in continental Europe. So there are mechanisms which have already been taken, but I think it's going to be quite a complex picture when we actually see what's been negotiated.
0: So while it's clear that Brexit as a moment in time has now passed, the implications of it are far from over and the final outcomes are far from certain. Businesses need to be ready for what comes throughout 2020 from the trade negotiations and might have very little time to implement any necessary changes not to forget that there still could be a no deal at the end of December. So keeping a close eye on developments and making decisions as soon as they feel comfortable will be important, although potentially tricky to navigate. As well as looking to the short term, organizations also need to begin to look to the future. With Brexit, it's just one of many areas that you'll need to focus energy on and look ahead to the horizon with Brexit as the backdrop. You can, as always, keep up to date with the latest Brexit developments and insights on pwc.co.uk forward slash Brexit. And your new host, me, will be back with you very soon.